0: If you were old enough to have been a cricket fan in 2003, you may remember the name of international pace bowler Henry Olonga. Henry was teammates with Andy Flower and Heath Streak, and played for Zimbabwe in the 2003 Cricket World Cup. For those who are a little younger, perhaps you recognise Henry Olonga from the 2019 season of The Voice Australia. I'll gather
1: up my past Come down, And make some <laughs> sense at last okay. This is the moment When my life dies Out of the dreaming,
0: I can now screaming. announce that Henry Olonga will not only be one of the special guest speakers at the Church and State Adelaide conference on Friday night, the 6th of October, coming very soon, but will also be performing the Australian national anthem as well as another special song. And thank God he can sing because Henry O'Longa's cricket career was cut short by an extraordinary and controversial act of bravery. While the international sporting community had been enthusiastic and clear in its condemnation of South Africa's white government apartheid policies, enforcing sustained boycotts and exclusion of all South African sporting teams just a dozen years earlier, there was no such principled stand against the bloodthirsty regime of black Zimbabwean dictator Robert Mugabe, who murdered up to 100,000 of his domestic political opponents and plunged his nation into economic disaster. Racism isn't racism if the racist is black and the victim is white, at least according to anti-racists. In this episode, I'm joined by Henry Alonga to discuss dictators, tyranny, and the motivation for courage. I'm Dave Pellow, and you're watching the Church and State Show. May all that you stand for, and that we stand for, be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force.
1: Australia is not a secular country, it is a free country.
0: Virtue-signalling Westerners looked the other way from the human rights abuses, electoral fraud, and violence of the Mugabe regime, believing anything better than the previous civilised British colonialism. God save us from the moral bankruptcy of virtue-signalling. But Andy Flower and Henry Alonga refused to look the other way, and as equal men from each end of the melanin spectrum, they donned black armbands on the international stage they had to mourn the death of democracy in their beloved homeland. They released a joint statement on the morning of their opening World Cup match, and I quote, It is a great honor for us to take the field today to play for Zimbabwe in the World Cup. We feel privileged and proud to have been able to represent our country. We are, however, deeply distressed about what is taking place in Zimbabwe in the midst of the World Cup, and do not feel that we can take the field without indicating our feelings in a dignified manner and in keeping with the spirit of cricket. We cannot, in good conscience, take to the field and ignore the fact that millions of our compatriots are starving, unemployed, and oppressed. We are aware that hundreds of thousands of Zimbabweans may even die in the coming months through a combination of starvation, poverty, and AIDS. We are aware that many people have been unjustly imprisoned and tortured simply for expressing their opinions about what is happening in the country. We have heard a torrent of racist hate speech directed at minority groups. We are aware that thousands of Zimbabweans are routinely denied their right to freedom of expression. We are aware that people have been murdered, raped, beaten, and had their homes destroyed because of their beliefs and that many of those responsible have not been prosecuted. We are also aware that many patriotic Zimbabweans oppose us even playing in the World Cup because of what is happening. It is impossible to ignore what is happening in Zimbabwe. Although we are just professional cricketers, we do have a conscience and feelings. We believe that if we remain silent, that will be taken as a sign That either we do not care, or we condone what is happening in Zimbabwe. We believe that it is important to stand up for what is right. We have struggled to think of an action that would be appropriate, and that would not demean the game we love so much. We have decided that we should act alone without other members of the team being involved because our decision is deeply personal and we did not want to use our senior status to unfairly influence more junior members of the squad. We would like to stress that we greatly respect the ICC and are grateful for all the hard work it has done in bringing the World Cup to Zimbabwe. In all the circumstances, we have decided that we will each wear a black armband for the duration of the World Cup. In doing so, we are mourning the death of democracy in our beloved Zimbabwe. In doing so, we are making a silent plea to those responsible to stop the abuse of human rights in Zimbabwe. In doing so, we pray that our small action may help to restore sanity and dignity to our nation. End quote. You know what the difference is between that protest and the virtue signaling which plagues modern sport? These men had everything to lose and nothing to gain by their protests. It was the end of both of their sporting careers and both men were forced to flee the nation. Zimbabwe's state-owned media wasn't paying attention to the issue or allowing critical news out of the nation, and citizens were not free to protest any other way. They weren't protesting a highly debatable issue, such as human-produced carbon dioxide alarmism or imagined systemic racism in the most liberal, inclusive democracies the world has ever seen. They were protesting actual torture, murder, rape, and dispossession by a bloodthirsty regime with a soaring body count against actually innocent people. Unlike the protests by spoilt elitists in recent decades, this took enormous personal courage, conviction and sacrifice. And that's the world of difference. The suave and sporty Henry Alonga joins me now. Henry Alonga, welcome to The Church and State Show.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Dave. I'm looking forward to having a chat. Now, I've enjoyed your
0: audiobook and listening to your life story. Um, tell us a little bit about, for, for those people who are not cricketing tragics uh, around uh, at the end of your career in 2003, tell us a little bit about who Henry Alonga is and, and how uh, people will have known you as uh, one of the, the great international uh, one-day and test cricketers uh, and pace bowlers of the early 2000s.
1: Well, thanks, Dave, for the opportunity to speak. The first thing I will say is I, I heard you read my audiobook in double speed time, so <laughs> you, got through a lot, you got through it a lot quicker than... Um, than the normal rate, and I—I I think my voice sounds a little different now that it's at normal speed. Um, <laughs> I was born—I was born in uh, in Africa, and I grew up there on the continent. I was born in a country called Zambia. Uh,
0: your audiobook says you were born at a very young age in Africa.
1: <laughs> I was—I was very young when I was born. <laughs> so, um, and uh, yeah, my daughter didn't like me adding that in my book, by the way, but. I was born in it is of full family. of dad
0: jokes. Buyer <laughs> no, beware! It, it is, is full of dry I, it humor, is. And dad jokes. <laughs> it, is. it is.
1: And I think if you have got to listen to it, you've got to understand that I am, I am someone who who loves uh, uh, having a sense of humor. But born in Zambia, lived there for a couple of years, moved to a country called Kenya. That's where my dad was from. My mom and dad actually met in Zambia. They're both medical people, met in the hospital. Anyway, in Nairobi, Kenya, that's where my mom discovered. That my dad had been married before to another lady called prisca and uh, not only were they married they had 10 children and they weren't divorced when my mom married my dad so that was a very Mm. complicated legal situation for my mom and far from receiving any social i imagine oh absolutely and but and think about it she was in a foreign country in my father's country so to speak with his family network etc and far from um feeling supported she felt very isolated and uh, decided she there was too much of a shock for her to hear this and so she went back home uh to zimbabwe where she was from and my dad and my brother and i followed a few months later dad tried to reconcile it didn't work uh and so began my new life in this new country actually zimbabwe had just become a new country when we arrived it used to be rhodesia there was a war of independence in the 70s uh, anyway the first free elections uh, resulted in a man called Robert Mugabe being sworn in as the leader. And he became the leader of, of Zimbabwe for 37 years, I think, by the time he was deposed in uh, 2017. In any case, I grew up in Zimbabwe, had a wonderful education. It was um, Zimbabwe was a former British colony, so the education system was very uh, much grounded in British tradition. We had great teachers at my schools. I went to two boarding schools. um, And it was there that I learned not only some of my hobbies in life, such as singing and drama uh, and my love for photography and art, but ultimately my love for sport. And I became a sportsman, worked my way up through the ranks uh, in my province. We call them states here in Australia, but Mm -hmm. I played provincial cricket uh, at the age of... uh, 11 and 12, uh, I believe, and also made the national team at that age. And then same thing happened at the end of my high school as well. I played for the national side uh, in my 17th and 18th year. Uh, long story short, those were springboards to me becoming a professional cricketer. And I ended up playing uh, test cricket and one day international Cricket for Zimbabwe. So Henry Olonga has done it again. Starting in '95, all the way through to 2003, I had a very modest career. I played uh, 51 day internationals and 30 Test matches. I took 126 wickets in total. Uh, so nothing to write home about. But I think most people would uh, know my uh, career as, or would know, would have heard of me because my career ended in somewhat controversial circumstances. I did a political protest with a teammate of mine called Andrew Flower, in which we were essentially protesting against the Mugabe and ZANU-PF regime policies in the country. And to summarize, um, there'd been a lot of corruption in the country. There'd been a lot of human rights violations. Uh, In the early 80s, there were gross human rights violations in which uh, tens of thousands of people were murdered by the regime. And um, at the time, round about the late 90s into the early 2000s, when I retired, round about then, uh, there were farm invasions, which were uh, one of the things that precipitated a freefall, not only in the farming community, in the economy, um, but also in a a lot of people leaving the country due to the increasing political instability. So Mm. actually probably one of the most famous casualties of the farm uh, or land grab, as it was called back in the day, is a man called David Pocock, who's now a federal minister in Australia. So um, there were many wow. people affected by the regime's uh, uh, And he's a anyway, communist. I didn't know that. I, did, I really didn't know that. But uh, Well, obviously- I'm,
0: uh, I'm being tongue-in-cheek. I don't think he would identify as a communist, but his uh, philosophies and political views are a mere stone's throw from uh, radical right. communism. Well there you go. uh yeah he's he's an independent um who is very at home amongst the greens
1: Understood understood
0: Uh that's well, that's maybe- really tragic and surprising that he would come from a failed communist regime to be uh himself so radical left
1: I think I think I think Zanipiev would say they're socialist actually but um, uh, they have very strong ties to China and have done in the last decade or so. So maybe you're not too far off point. But in any case, uh, many people would remember him for his rugby exploits um, before his yeah. political career. And uh, he's one of the casualties. There were many, of course. I, I'm i one of them as well, uh, in that I had to flee Zimbabwe after the political protest after the World Cup, by the way. It was the World Cup of 2003 held in South Africa and Zimbabwe and Kenya in which we did the protest and I got death threats and had to to flee into exile. So I ended up in uh, England for a number of years and then ended up here after marrying a South uh, South Australian, I should say. Uh, My wife, Tara, comes from here.
0: You've essentially engaged in a political protest on the cricket field. uh, And I don't think there's many people watching this who wouldn't sympathize and applaud uh, the reasons, the motives, and the actions you took. Um, But tell us a little bit about them. You know, exactly what was so bad about your nation's government that led you to take a political protest action, which in Australia would get you a slap on the wrist, um, but in Zimbabwe at that time, um, risked, not only your entire career but possibly your life as well and ultimately did end up um, with you having to leave the country for fear of your life. Uh, what was that regime like and, and what exactly were you protesting?
1: Well, um, clearly this this is a, a very involved topic and, and we won't be able to do it justice in a few minutes. Sure. But... Um, if I rewind in my story to my teens, um, I became a Christian at the age of 16, after many years of vacillating between trying to decide what kind of worldview I wanted to believe in, and eventually resting on the Christian faith, because it, it seemed to, in my opinion, answer many of the great big questions that the universe demands, uh, you know, where did we come from? ultimately, as a result of the answer to that question, why are we here? And what happens when we're gone? Is there hope beyond the grave? Is there ultimately um, a different purpose to life than just survival of the fittest? And in effect, just living a nihilistic, meaningless life to try and get as much as we can out of the now? Uh, Is there Mm. something to look forward to? Is there something to fear? And all of those questions led me initially on different paths. I went into a, a, a few uh, different paths. I went into Eastern mysticism. I, I bought a book called Teach Yourself Yoga. I tried that. It didn't seem to answer the fundamentals. Um, um, I, I also tried to be uh, a good student. I went all the way to A-level biology. Um, A-level is the sort of old way of doing exams in Africa, Oxford and Cambridge um, um, exams. And... And so I went to A-level, and I did okay at that level in biology. So I understood the premise of life coming from non-life and everything coming from nothing in a big Mm. bang and all of that. And none of it made sense to me, you know. It just didn't seem feasible that we could get everything from nothing, and it didn't seem to me like the highest purpose of man was survival of the fittest. There was just so much beauty in the world. There were so much um, questions that... I had around the aesthetic of life. Um, To me, the way the world is put together is so extraordinary. There's so much complexity um, that I just couldn't believe it just happened for no reason Mm. billions of years ago. And so that led me on a search. And this quest lasted maybe two or three years in which I eventually rested on the idea that the Christian faith made the most sense to me up here and in here as well. So in my head and in my heart. Now, a lot of people will will obviously have their own view on how we got here. But for me, um, the idea that an an almighty, all-powerful God created everything through supernatural power and um, uh, through an extraordinary uh, creative mind uh, makes more sense to me than nothing exploding. So that was my foundation. There is a God. He made everything. And ultimately, he's also given us, if you will, The rules for life, the structure of society, etc., and so all of this culminated in me knowing right from wrong, and the consequences of it. So, because the Bible is very clear in the Book of Romans, isn't it? Uh, Romans three twenty three says, um, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." Uh, Romans three twenty six twenty six, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life uh, in Christ Jesus." and Romans 10 uh, says, for all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those were scriptures Mm. that were read at a youth camp that I attended. And it all made sense to me. Yes, there is a God. He made us. But there's a problem. We're sinners. We fall short of his glory. Uh, Bottom line, sinners must be punished. The Punishment is not good. But God gave a solution uh, in Jesus dying on the cross for us. And I'd heard that message. I don't want to exaggerate, but a million times. I am obviously speaking... In hyperbole, there. But I'd heard it so many times. We'd had Scripture Union, Youth for Christ. We'd had the Gideons coming around. We'd had itinerant preachers. We'd heard it from teachers. Um, my my schools were quote unquote Christian. So I understood that uh, I needed to do something. God's done what He's had to do, and I have to do something. So I placed my faith in Jesus on the I think uh, the the middle in the middle of December in 92 at a Christian youth camp, I trusted the Lord. I got converted. I became a Christian on that day and have been ever since. Now, I've always felt that my Christian faith should inform my life. There's no point saying you believe in God. And, you know, the Bible doesn't have some kind of impact on the way you live, the way you treat other Amen. people. So the Bible says um, that we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Uh, of on, course, then. we should love God. Um with all our heart and soul and strength. And in effect, Jesus said on these two commands, all the others hinge, so to speak. I'm paraphrasing slightly. But the idea is that the way you treat your fellow man is very important to God. And ultimately, he must be first in your life. And so from my perspective, one of the most powerful stories I read about in the Bible is the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a very famous story. Many people have heard it. But for the benefit of those who haven't, it's about a, a man who is attacked by bandits. He's on his way on a long road somewhere in, 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 that, in the Middle East, and he gets attacked by bandits. He's left on the side of the road bleeding. He's obviously been robbed of his possessions. And a couple of people come past. I think there's like a high priest and uh, a teacher of the law or something like that. I can't remember hmm. exactly. but they're, they're the kinds of people you would think would stop, but they don't. They walk on the other side of the road. They don't want to get involved with the mess. And uh, long story short, uh, a Samaritan comes along. He's got a donkey. He helps the man with his wounds. He puts him on his donkey, takes him to a place where he can recover and convalesce. And he says, I'll pay the bill. And if there's more, I'll pay even that. So what a, What an incredible story of getting involved in a mess that doesn't involve you on behalf of someone else. So, good. so for me, uh, You know, as a, as a as a Christian, I've always felt those stories aren't just nice trite stories and parables and ideas that are communicated to us by by the bible but primarily through jesus to just be nicer people you've almost the call is you've got to get your hands dirty you've got to because if you don't you're like the other people who walked on the other side of the road and i don't think that's what we're called to be or to do and so in my case of course i was living in a country where um First of all, let me say I was middle class. Always had a middle class background. My dad, remember I said, was a doctor. We had a good home life, although it was a bit messed up with stepmoms, stepsisters, and brothers, and all sorts of things. But ultimately, Secret I had a good step-moms. life. <laughs> yes, all of that. <laughs> but, but ultimately, I had, I had, um, I had a good life, and I, in a sense, didn't need to get involved. And I think it's important to say that. There was nothing compelling me to get my hands dirty. And yet, somewhere in my heart, somehow, God um, pricked my conscience. And just it just started to bug me. Especially when I started to hear about those murders that happened in the early years uh, of Mugabe's rule. uh, Around about uh, the mid-80s. And I I talk about this in my audiobook about how um, we had soldiers who would go to certain parts of Zimbabwe and and they would kill innocent villagers. Um, the lower estimate mm. is 30,000 people died. Uh, the upper estimate is almost 100,000. Uh, there's no wow. real way of knowing, but that's a lot of people who were killed by the leader of Zimbabwe that I had up until that point uh, admired. I had no problem with Mugabe. I thought he was a, a freedom fighter. He fought for people like me, in a sense, to go to integrated schools where there was a fair system where you were judged on merits not on the color of your skin. Um, I was given opportunities to play cricket, sport, uh, take get involved in music and plays in high school, etc. That wouldn't have happened in Rhodesia. For, so for sure, Mugabe and many people of his ilk who fought against uh, the segregated Rhodesia did a good thing. But um, the other half of the story, is that Robert Mugabe was a ruthless dictator who uh, did everything in his power to consolidate all that power under him. He wanted a one party state. Um, he got rid of one of his opponents, called Joshua Nkomo, by uh, bringing him into his party and they had a united government. Uh, and long story short, he was a power hungry man who would stop at nothing to uh, win elections and dominate anyone who opposed him. And so I touched on the late 90s and ultimately I think that was the straw that broke the camels back in a lot of people's minds in Zimbabwe and uh, uh, long story short, a lot of people started to change their political allegiances. There was a new party that came to the fore called the Movement for Democratic Change, and it was my involvement with someone who was part of the Movement for Democratic Change, a man called David Coltart, who was a wonderful Christian man. And there's a bit of a story as to how I met him. But anyway, um, he was a lawyer who then got involved in politics, a Christian lawyer who got involved in politics. Perish the thought, right? Why? Because he felt Christians should be involved in the democratic process and should actually be heard and try to make a difference. And so he became he's a close was friend it, of mine. Um, sorry, Henry. Was it Andy Flower who introduced you? No, no, no. i uh, If you remember, I went on that Christian youth camp, and on that Christian youth camp, the Christian, the Christian leader did some inappropriate things, which led to him being sued by a group of parents. And I right. was called to be a witness because I was a leader on one of the camps on which some of these things happened.
0: Right. So that's how I met David.
1: Mm-hmm. And, um, right. The, the court case never went anywhere, but we stayed friends and stayed in contact. And then I become an inter, became an international cricketer. He was a cricket fan. And, uh, he called me, invited me around for dinner the one time. I went to his house, and he—he's the first person I think I mentioned who spoke of Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe's leader Mugabe as a dictator. I'd never heard mm. anyone call Mugabe a dictator up until that point, point. and to be honest, I was flummoxed. I was actually flabbergasted that he used that word. I, you know, it, it made sense for me to call someone like Mobutu, Seseseko or you know, Hitler or Idi Amin. A dictator, But I thought, not Mugabe, surely not. And then he started to show me all the evidence. And that's when I had a change, a turn, if you will, and started to ask questions.
0: Introducing the co-host of Parting Shots, the weekly news podcast from ADH. Well, obviously, it's a very exciting opportunity for Fred. he has been on my back for years to do this with him, so in the end, I just said yes. Yeah, Nick told me about this idea a couple of weeks ago, and I thought... Couldn't I do one with Alan Jones instead? You couldn't have two more very different guys. Fred's just the knockabout surfy, catches a wave, rides with it. I'm more, bring a bit more intellectual depth to it. Just get below the surface of each issue. Oh, yeah, Nicky is so annoying. Just because he's got a weekly column in The Australian, he thinks he knows everything. I worry about the amount of time that Fred spends out in the surf. You know, he's inclined to get a little bit of water on the brain. Oh, 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 hang on. It says on this Surf Forecast app that the swell's picking up this afternoon. Can we finish this tomorrow? Well, obviously, Fred, Fred asked me to host it. He's, you know, he's a great Aussie larrikin, but I, I guess he lacks the, the gravitas that you bring to it as a former newspaper editor. Of course, I only agreed to do the podcast because the boss said I could be the host. I mean, I respect Nick and everything, but you can't have a pommy host of an Australian news podcast, can you?
1: Search Spotify
0: for Parting Shots, the podcast by Fred Paul and Nick Cater. What are your feelings or, or not um, when Australians call uh, the most autocratic and authoritarian of our leaders who uh, pale compared to Mugabe uh, you know is it offensive when we call to you when we call um, Daniel Andrews a dictator because obviously he's not rounding up tens of thousands of people and having them executed as political opponents Uh, I mean he's authoritarian and and tyrannical but again compared to your experience, you've got every right to go, you guys don't know what a dictator is. Uh,
1: I i think people can only, um, you, you know, there's a scripture in the Bible and I'm not going to do it justice, but the, the the inference is that God has determined where people should live and in the times in which they will live and the lands they will live in. So so I think, you know, people will, will do the best, with what they've got at, within their worldview and their understanding of the society they live in. And so there, there, there are obviously different challenges um, to your life depending on where you were born and where you live. And you know, people born in an Islamic state um, have very different challenges to people born in Australia, for example. Um, here you have a lot of freedoms. You can choose not to be religious at all um and versus other countries where if you converge to a different religion you can be killed so Mm. vastly different life experiences based on where you're born um so let me just say i have an understanding of that that if you've never been in a country that has a tyrannical uh dictator running the place it just it doesn't fit in your frame of reference it doesn't it's not something you can relate to and you know, th- there is some truth to the fact that I suspect if, you know, if if we had uh, another COVID, COVID crisis and there was the option of sending people to quarantine villages somewhere in the middle of the desert, you know, there would be, definitely be government overreach with that sort of thing. And that's obviously unsavory in the kind of language we had. Um, over the last two, three years was extraordinary to me. Um, However, it's still not the same as literally losing your life because you don't want to vote for a certain party. Um, It's not the same as having death threats like I experienced uh, or indeed being thrown into prison on trumped-up charges because, you know, you support a different party. So those sorts of things happen regularly in Zimbabwe and a lot of African countries. So... I, I would be very slow to be judgmental of people who overestimate or inflate what they think a dictator looks like. I would try to gently correct them and say, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. But um, I, I do think Australians probably ought to educate themselves. And I think sometimes people get a, a wake-up call when they actually travel. And, and so this is why sometimes, certainly in the world of Christendom, uh, it, it's helpful to travel to a different country to help with a charity, mm. or uh, mm. you know, visit a, a orphans, or try go there as a missionary, or something like that, because it opens your eyes to how lucky you are when you live yep. in a country like Australia or, the, or any Western nation. Throw in England, where I've lived as well. Um, so, perspective
0: I think... is is one thing. Perspective is is healthy and mature, but on the other hand, uh, I, it's probably also healthy and mature to see the early warning signs
1: yes um and 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 that's the thing is is i think when i look at my um history in zimbabwe i think most people would have said robert mugabe was a a good leader to start with now that's somewhat disputed some people think he was always capable of tyranny even from the beginning and they were from the first election there were rumors of uh, voter intimidation, um, violence against voters etc so perhaps the and even before Zimbabwe became Rhodesia there were a lot of possible rivals of Mugabe's that disappeared or were involved in unfortunate accidents so it's possible that he was cut from a certain type of cloth way from the start mm. um, but um, it took me something in the region of 17, 18 years to see Mugabe's true colors. Um, and so even in a country where uh, the signs were probably more prevalent than in Australia, um, even I, as a admittedly a young man, didn't see them until I was of age, when I was about in my early 20s. And so it's not often easy to see the signs of tyranny. And oftentimes you would lose democracy. Um, I would describe it as a death from a thousand cuts. It's not necessarily one big blow. It's just Mm. a little bit of freedom taken away here and a little bit of freedom taken away there. And people wake up and suddenly they go, whoa, what's happened to our country? Suddenly, you know, we're not defending the Constitution. We're not standing up for our rights or at least our rights are being trodden. Um and thankfully, in the West, there is somewhat um of a structure of accountability. Somewhat. Um so some people have been held accountable over what happened over the last few years. Um who's the lady who fell on her sword, uh the her sword? The the premier of New South Wales, I forget her name. Um
0: Gladys. Sherry- Schickling? Schickling?
1: Yeah, she had to, to, to. It was there was a bit of corruption going on there, wasn't there? Um, that, that that you'd probably get away with it in Zimbabwe. Um, so the good thing about the West is there is somewhat of an accountability that happens. And but and we've also seen them backtracking from a lot of the overreach that they they imposed during um, the lockdowns and all of that stuff, um, because from a legal point of view, they didn't tick all the boxes. Um, <laughs> But the sad thing for me is well, that I understand. Uh, but but a lot of people still a lot of Christians still don't think they did anything wrong. You know, they that they was overreach or that they abused their powers or anything like that. Because yeah. because to them it just does it it doesn't feel like a dictatorship. And that's the thing, mm. is when I grew up in Zimbabwe it didn't feel like a dictatorship. It's only when mm. Mr. Coltart started to explain to me and handed me a dossier put together by the Catholic Commission of for, for Justice. Uh it was a dossier called um breaking the silence i think it was and it it basically detailed some of the most horrific stories uh which i won't repeat of what happened to my fellow countrymen in the country um tales of torture and abuse that you you'd think we were involved in a civil war uh, but we weren't this was this was free this was free zimbabwe and um, um that's ultimately the internet as well very much came to the fore because it allowed me to do research. And, wow. uh, you know, when when the Internet became a thing in the mid-90s, to me anyway, in Africa, um, many people remember how slow the Internet was and those horrible noises the modems made when you dialed in. But there was a thing called the Internet where it meant you didn't have to go to a library. Um, you didn't have to have a million Encyclopedia Britannicas. You could go and find a website where some dude or some lass was talking about uh, something that was close to them. And they just so happened to be um, websites that talked about the excesses and abuses of the Mugabe regime. And um, But it was up to me to do the research and find out and not live in ignorance, which sadly is um, very prevalent in our day. People, I think, have this beautiful picture in their heads of what democracy looks like, and they don't mm-hmm. want anything to jostle mm-hmm. and shake that image Um, even if they're faced with reality, they're more inclined to say, oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist than to look at the facts and do their own research. Um, And that's that's why a lot of the the leaders that abuse their powers get away with it is because a lot of people don't place them under scrutiny and say, well, hold on, Uh, what you did over there was Exactly
0: right. Exactly right. You're talking about exactly what happened in Australia. Obviously, you were here. And, and I know on my social media, there were fine, intelligent, honest, upstanding Christian men and women who basically said, we should trust Scott Morrison because he's one of us. And, and it was like, no, you need to do your research. You don't need to look at what he's doing on Sunday, but what's he doing on Monday and Tuesday? And and you know how's he doing his job? We need to actually look at these things uh, and research for ourselves and not just be so willing to look away when it's uh, uncomfortable what we see.
1: And the thing is, Dave, you know, like, I, 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 like I'm like i very controversial. People, people will say I'm controversial because of what I did in Zimbabwe. But even from the pulpit, I'm slightly controversial. So I'm the kind of guy who you'll have at your church and I'll preach once and you'll say, oh, gosh, we might struggle to have him come back. Because I, <laughs> literally, you know, I literally look at biblical... Uh, truth, And I look at eschatology and I look at the Bible and I, you know, I look at the end times, which is spoken of very clearly in the Bible. I mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. yes, some of it is weird and allegorical and it's hard to get our heads around some of the idioms. And and some of it is, is somewhat easy to say, well, that was just a picture. They were trying to inform us on something. But the Bible literally tells Christians there's coming a global tyranny that will encompass the whole world. And I've always wondered how do we get from where we are to that? Because the Bible says it's coming, mm. and it's going to affect everyone on the face of the earth, great and small. Um, yep. I don't want to get into too much of the detail of that, but I'm what I what I'm suggesting. I see where please, you're going.
0: It, it's not hard to imagine this decade how they were going to get there.
1: But but the Bible predicts it. It's going mm. to happen. You can take that to the bank because Jesus himself Mm. speaks of it, not only in Matthew 24, but in the book of Revelation. Now, sure, scholars and good scholars will disagree on what means exactly what. But ultimately, there is going to be an end of the age. There is going to be a regeneration. But before that, there will be a time of great distress like has never been on earth. And Mm. it's the last power grab, if you will, of the devil, because he knows his time is short and... He demands worship from a world that in many cases is happy to give it to him. But Mm. there will be a remnant. There will be a few. There will be this small group of people who stand up and say, no, we won't metaphorically bow the knee to your idol like, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We will stand up for our God and we will stand up for righteousness. And um, I just don't think a lot of Christians have processed that. And thought, how do we practically get from a world in which there's tremendous freedom to a world where if you don't do something, you will literally lose your life? Well, like we talked, it's little by little, one cut by one cut, a slow turning up of the temperature of the water. And it's, it's one right taken away from you um, mm. after another right taken away from you. And eventually... I suspect when people do wake up, it may be too late, Um, but while there is light and while it's still day, we can still work and we can still do our best. Now, from my perspective, you have to understand um, my my primary objective as a believer and as a Christian is to spread the gospel. I am an evangelist. I love telling people about... The fact that God loves them, God wants them, God uh, will forgive them if they turn from their sins. And God wants them as a part of His kingdom and His eternal kingdom in which your sins are forgiven. You will live in a perfect world. But primarily, that's my goal. My goal isn't necessarily to become a political activist or anything like that. For me, it's about souls getting into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Unfortunately, a part of interacting with people means we have to challenge worldviews and we have to make people aware that there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes uh, than meets the eye. Um, How Mm -hmm. did Paul put it? He said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Uh, But then he goes on to describe them as principalities and powers of the air and all sorts of things. Basically, they're powers behind the throne that, in a sense contribute to how politics is done in our world. And I think people need to be aware of the fact that this is primarily a spiritual war and we need to engage with spiritual weapons. Uh, The the word of God, uh, prayer, and of course, getting involved in a practical way in which people can. And that means getting involved in the democratic process, voting. Um, Of course, we're talking about the voice coming up soon. Uh, that's an important vote. And there'll be many more votes coming in the future. And we've had a yep. few. We've had the Marriage Equality Act and all of that. We've had euthanasia. <laughs> you know, some of the biggest topics of our day um, yeah. have had opportunity for Christians to speak into those situations. And, you know, my church, I, 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 I have my former pastor, a man called Rob Norman, who's now involved with ACL, so, Good friend,
0: uh, and uh, I'm sorry you lost him, but you lost him to me, so I'm not sorry you lost him.
1: Well, there you go. So, so we know, you know, we we had it drilled into us that we ought to be involved in mm. the democratic process, and we shouldn't be silent, and we ought to be heard. And, I didn't uh, know
0: he used to be your pastor. That's a that's quite a great connection uh, to to make. Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah, yeah. So he popped he popped back a few weeks ago to come preach in our church again. So. Legend. So great guy, Rob. Very strong convictions to do with politics, etc. Yeah. There was never Hi, a dull Rob. moment in Happy
0: our you're church. Watching.
1: <laughs> <laughs> never a dull moment in our church. And he's gone on to probably I mean, he moved for a number of reasons. I think most of his family moved to Queensland, etc. But um he drilled it into us. And 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 um and it's great work that ACL does and what you're doing, and 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 so it's very important, I think, that. Christians understand that they ought to be involved, that you, yeah. you, know, you don't have to necessarily be on the front lines. Like I was on the front lines in Zimbabwe. I had the platform. I had the guts. You know, it's not made for everyone. Um, but mm. if there's a burden and you can get involved in some way, as little or as great, um, I think when your time comes and... you you know, there's that great song, isn't it? Um, uh, 10,000 Reasons by I think, Matt Redman. Uh, And and it goes something like, Oh, gosh, I can't remember the lyric. It's something like, and on that day when my strength is failing, and my time has come something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's that. And and for me, this is quite a poignant moment, because I just lost a good friend, uh, a a teammate called Heath Streak, uh, who passed away recently to colon cancer, very sad story, very young, 49. And it makes you think, mm. you know uh, life, life is so short, there's a brevity that's attached to life. It's, it's, it, we are but a whisper. you know we, we're here today, we're gone tomorrow. and only really what we do in the flesh, um, what we the works that we do um, endure forever. And I'm not suggesting we get into heaven by works, but I'm saying what we do with our time.
0: No, no, the, the, the believer's judgment. Let me back you up. The believer's judgment, is it a judgment of guilty or innocent? We're already judged innocent by identifying yeah. with the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. What we get judged for is our works. And, yeah. and that refiner's fire at that throne, some works will be consumed uh, yeah. like stubble of hay. Uh, and yeah. some will will come out like gold, refined and, and pure, and those are the things that we then get to take into eternity to lay out our King's feet.
1: That's absolutely right, and and you know God is a rewarder as well, and you know the things we do in His name, I think count for something. And I, yeah. I, my my point is, I don't. I would, I would encourage everyone to do their their best to give God their life. Because remember, as I said earlier, God, for whatever reason, has limited himself to work through people. He often, in the Old Testament, you saw God rock up as God and do stuff. But because in this dispensation, God's given us his Holy Spirit, he expects us to be his voice, his feet, his foot soldiers, so to speak. And so he uses us as vessels through which he conduits his power and his, his will for the world and his heart. And so ultimately what that looks like is us going out as representatives, as ambassadors of God, to go out and represent his kingdom. And so from my perspective, what I want to hear at the end of my days when I'm looking uh, at myself in the mirror um, is that I did all things well. You know, I would love God to give me a pat on the shoulder and Jesus to say, Henry, well well done, my good and faithful servant. You've done all things well. I would hate for him to say, you know, you cowered away. You you were afraid. You lived in fear. Yeah. Um, you you buried your talent in the ground. Um, so I do, I I would love for people to be able to to understand that they gave everything a fair go. So mm. um, my my final thought on this is is back in the day when I was in junior school, we sung us um, a little song called um, "Fill the World with Love." Now, it's not a Christian song, but it has Christian themes. And it comes from a movie called um, Goodbye, Mr. Chips. I think it's like a 50s or 60s movie, really old. Um, and I've got it on Blu-ray, but I still haven't watched it. But I, the reason I got it was because of the song. And the song goes something like this. And I'll just go through it very quickly. It goes, in the morning of my life, I shall look to the sunrise. at a moment in my life when the world is new. And the blessing I shall ask is that God will grant me to be brave and strong and true, and to fill the world with love my whole life through. And the, the, the chorus is, and to fill the world with love. And it just repeats and repeats. And then, in the, in new the time
0: of my life, I, I shall look, look to the, the sun, sunshine. Sh- moon, at a, a moment, moment in my life when the sky is blue.
1: And the and blessing I shall ask will remain unchanged. To be, dream, to be brave and, and strong and true And to, and to fill, the fill the world with, with love my whole life through In I can I can the, the evening of my life, I shall look to the sunset, At a moment in my life when the night is due, And the question I shall ask only I can answer. Was I brave and strong and true? Did I fill, fill the world with love my whole life through? And I love that song. I put it in my book, and I'm going to sing it, and I'm nice. going to put it on YouTube at some point because it actually touches a number of things. You know, one, were we loving? Two, were we brave? And were we true? Three. And many people, as Christians, understand the love part, but a lot of people I don't think understand that there are times in your life when you've got to stretch yourself a little, leave your comfort zone, and be a bit brave. Now, I did yeah. that a few years ago. Um, uh, there was a cost attached to it. Um, there is almost always a cost attached to being brave, especially, uh, as a representative of God's kingdom, but yeah. there's also a reward. And the, I think there's nothing more invigorating than standing up for righteousness, standing up for what's right in our world, standing up for the light rather than the dark, knowing mm. that you're on the winning side, and knowing you're joining God in work that he's already started on earth. You know, mission and standing up for godly ideas and principles in this world isn't our idea. No, no, no. It's actually God's. God wants us to stand up for righteousness. God wants us to defend the widow and the orphan. God wants us to rebuke the oppressor. As Isaiah 117 says, it's his idea. It's his heart. And so I think.
0: Yeah, you're hundred percent right.
1: The benefit of being brave is you end up going on this extraordinary adventure with God, and the flip side of that is you miss out and you live in regret, yeah. um, knowing that you were you shied back, you you weren't someone who, you know, gave it a go, and and I think that that's hard at the end of your days to look in the mirror yeah. and go, I wasn't brave and I wasn't strong and I wasn't true,
0: Henry Longo. Really, really appreciate your time on the episode this week. Thank you very much. I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing your presentation, which I'm sure is going to be full of uh, inspiration and and moving testimony uh, for the audience when you come to speak at the Church and State Conference uh, in Adelaide on the 6th of October. Um, so, uh, Henry, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me. And I guarantee there'll be maybe more than one or two dad jokes in that presentation.
0: <laughs> Looking forward to it. Well, that's it for this episode of the Church and State Show. Uh, you can find the links to all of uh, Henry Alonga's work, his YouTube channels, his audiobooks, and uh, other things that he has to offer in the links beneath this video where there's a description. You'll also be able to find tickets to the Church and State Adelaide Conference, uh, which is going to be great. Henry is, uh, as you heard in the opening scenes of this episode, an accomplished uh, male vocalist, a trained opera singer and a uh, contender in the 2019 season of The Voice Australia, where he made it all the way to the battle rounds. So he's going to be uh, ministering to us and uh, leading us in the national anthem at that conference. And inspiring us with some of his uh, testimony and uh, encouragement on, on how to actually speak up for love of your nation and for love of your neighbor uh, when you see injustice um, and uh, are called by God to intervene as we all are. If you'd like to grab tickets to that conference, head to churchandstate.com.au and uh, you'll see the links there to Adelaide. Click on that link and you'll be able to grab those tickets. Uh, Don't forget there is a massive lineup of speakers, including Senator Jacinta Price, uh, Senator Alex Antic, Sarah Game from the South Australian Parliament, uh, Topher Field, Stephen Shavura, James McPherson, uh, myself and and more, many more speakers are gonna be there. Go to the website, check it all out. It's gonna be a fantastic uh, Friday night and all day Saturday And uh, make sure you grab your tickets now. The venue is not unlimited and seats are going to be very popular with that lineup of speakers, so don't delay. But if you would like to get more episodes uh, or subscribe to newsletters from me, head to my website, davepello.com, and you'll be able to uh, become a supporter, subscribe to newsletters, or just go back and watch or read as much of the stuff as I've produced because it's all there without a paywall and uh, hopefully a great resource enjoyed by many. But that's it for this week. So thank you very much for your company. Uh, God bless you and Australia. Today, we need a special kind of courage, not the kind needed in
1: battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.